Well, praise the Lord. Glad to see you here today. Summer's hit. People are ramming. Yay. You know where it's hot, right? So, and, thank you. So anyway, it's very hot. Yes. Glad that you're here. I want to thank Brother Derek for rising to the occasion last week. Derek, good work. Well done. Yes. They weren't so sure about that sermon, I guess. They're like, a little like this, right? So uh, last week we got surprised. I didn't have a chance to get my sermon ready because we had a brand new baby born into the family up in Binghamton. And my wife, no, 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 that's it. You know, I have, have anybody here have trouble with some of God's commands once in a while? Anybody? Be fruitful and multiply is not one I had any trouble with, but apparently we keep being fruitful and multiplying, so it's a lot of fun. And, uh, but we ran up there and, and got to see little Isla, who just entered into the world, and so uh, we welcome her, and we're grateful. So thank you, Brother Derek, for bailing us out. These are the other two. These are the other two, yeah. I'm s- What's that? Wasn't her. No, this, this is the oldest, so sorry. For those of you visiting, you're wondering, what's going on here? And I'm wondering the same thing. So, If you are visiting or if you don't have a Bible with you and you would like to see in the Scripture that I'm not making up what I'm about to preach on, this little uh, black version in, the, in, the, in your chair, uh, pouch, uh, the Holy Bible, page 252, almost everything I'll be saying is on these few pages. 252 in there, and we'll be looking at it together in just a moment. But I did want to say thanks for everyone bailing me out last week. And uh, bail them bailing. Okay. Oh, oh. And Kathy can leave. Anyway, so let me just get us a... We have been studying together a daily Bible. Anybody have one with them in the room? Anybody bring one? No? No, It's all right. You don't have to run out. That's what it looks like. If you're visiting or you're newer here and you didn't realize that we as a congregation are reading through the entire Bible together using this one. And I have to say, uh, I've been very pleased because the responses have been very positive, even those of you who are lagging behind, right? I've heard a lot of positive. And one of the things that I keep hearing is, it's easy to follow along and get to where you want to, you know, to understand where God is taking his people as you journey through the daily Bible because there are little sections that unpack it for us. So today I'm going to unpack a little bit of it because I thought, wouldn't it be sad to go through all of the reading in the daily Bible and never glean some lessons corporately out of it, right? I think that would be kind of sad. And because I think it'd be kind of sad, I'm going to do that today so that we're not sad, okay? And so that's what I want to do. And uh, it's in Judges chapter 2. But I put this up there uh, so that you knew what we were doing. And if you're feeling like, wow, they're doing something we're not following, that's why. And you don't have to catch up all at once. Uh, but love to have you start. I'd love to. You'd love to catch up. Take a week off and maybe, maybe you can. So my title today is A Spiritual Dynamic, and I asterisked it because I have to give credit to Richard Loveless, a book that I've quoted before, The Dynamics of Spiritual Life, An Evangelical Theology of Renewal. 
I want to share some of the principles that he taps into because the book of Judges, have most of us gotten through Judges at least, right? We're into Judges. We went past Gideon. I preached on him a few weeks ago. Judges is a vivid illustration of a spiritual dynamic, a principle. I totally checked out on my little illustration. I wanted to have a glass of water and a card today. Anybody remember when you were in elementary school and they take a glass of water and they put an index card on it, flip it over? I tried it in the office the other day. I didn't have a glass. I had a paper cup. It kept going everywhere. I did it over the sink, just so you know. I don't want the trustees coming and talking to me about what a mess I made. But uh, remember that? And you see that. Lo and behold, you let go. And the paper stays there. You know? It's a miracle. Right? No, it is not a miracle. It's It's a dynamic. It's a law. It's a principle. Air pressure is pushing on us all the time from every direction. And the air pressure underneath is greater than the pressure of the water pushing down. You can look it up. I did. I looked online just to cheat. Make sure I had it right. Science was not my strong point. But anyway, you know what? I got thirsty thinking about this. It's not a miracle. There's a principle involved. It makes sense. And the same thing is true relating to biblical principles that we can learn from. Uh, Pastor Derek last week, I think, used the text that I was going to preach out of. And I just want to highlight one verse out of that passage in Romans. And this is it. Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Whatever was written in earlier times was written because people were bored. Was written, what was it written for? Our instruction. Whose instruction? All right, I know this was written about 2,000 years ago, but he means us. Our instruction that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. There's three words we have to look at in this text. Let me see if I can make this little thing work, right? Here it is. Perseverance, what does that mean? Encouragement and hope. The word perseverance, a good way to translate the Greek word hupomone is stick-to-itiveness. If you have a King James, anybody ever read the King James Version? That's been around a long time. The language there is patience. But patience kind of runs short, in my opinion, because we talk about having patience like with our kids, you know, patience. It's not the same. This is the kind of patient endurance that when things are difficult or pushing back on me, I stick to it. That's a spiritual gift, stick-to-itiveness. I made that up, but I, but I confessed it. So, But you know, what I'm getting at is that is something the Spirit wants to give us, stick-to-itiveness, perseverance, that we through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures... Interesting word, encouragement. It's the same Greek root as the Holy Spirit's title, the paraclete, the comforter. The word for paraclete is really comes out of legal terminology. A lawyer goes with his client to defend and encourage him in court. And it can mean one of several things. When I encourage you, 
I can encourage you like, come on, brother, you can do that. James, you can. I know you can. I know it's in you. That's encouragement. It can also be, don't do that again, brother. He didn't do anything wrong. I'm just picking on him because we're friends. So don't be my friend. See what happens? That's encouragement when I say, you know, you can do this or stop doing that. You have the ability to say no to that. Resist it. Both of those things are true. That's the paraclete comes alongside and encourages us. And that's what that word is. Perseverance, stick-to-itiveness and encouragement, that edification from the scripture Edification comes from the scripture. That encouragement comes from the Bible so that we might have, what was the last word? Hope. Some people have positive, you cannot even live without hope. And when we think about it as believers, in an assembly of believers, we want to have hope because what is hope involving? There is hope in the biblical sense of I have an expectation. Like, I, my hope is in God. My hope of heaven is real. I have an expectation of it. It doesn't mean I hope so. But there's also a dimension of a preferred future for the here and now. I have hope. Why do we keep enduring? Because we have hope of a better future, right? Even in this life, I'm hoping for better things ahead. And as believers in an assembly, we should definitely want to have hope for a better future as an assembly. Anybody want to agree with that? Okay, thank you. I put you up to that, right? A little bit. Patience and encouragement from the scripture gives us a vision of a better future. I wanted to use that verse to set the stage of why there's a principle in the Old Testament. There is a spiritual dynamic at work that it was written for their learning in the Old Testament. So we can ignore it now. No, it's written for whose learning? Our, Our learning. And you, I know, are aware of it because you've, if you've read the Judges, you kind of get it. Yeah, right? The Judges, one of the most edifying books in the Bible, <laughs> especially the last three or four chapters. Oy. By the way, if you need an explanation or a, a defense as to why the Scripture can be trusted and why it is the Word of God, who's starting a religion would ever fill it up with that kind of stuff? where God's people do those kind of things and try to sell it. You getting my point? It's showing humanity in its brokenness without reservation. Those of you who are not aware, have never read the Bible, it should be rated R. It's written for our encouragement. Here's what it tells us in the book of Judges. Over and over again, after God had brought them into the promised land, he had defeated their enemies. They're living in the place he had promised them. It says, after things got good for a while, just like Deuteronomy warned them, they're all eating and drinking, sitting out at their picnic tables after working the fields for the day, and they're having a great time. Life is sweet. They're all wearing those little life is good shirts, you know. Remember those little cycling shirts? and little Boy, you guys don't get out enough, I'll tell you. Anyway, things were so good, they're like, oh, you know, that worship with Jehovah is like boring. Isn't there something a little more exciting around here? So they dug up the Baals and the Ashtaroth, which were sexually perverse type of things, which is always attractive. 
I mean, we never see anything like that in our culture today, but yes. And they get themselves into trouble. Here's what the scripture tells us happens. So they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord their God and served Baal and the Ashtoreth. And the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand. Hey, read that last part with me. They could what? No longer stand before their enemies. And we think God's not angry anymore. (laughs) Never gets irritated. He loves us dearly. I love my kid. I raised five children. I got angry with them on an occasion. Anybody else in that camp? You know what I mean? And God is the same. He's our heavenly father. He doesn't get petulantly angry like bratty people. But when things are wrong and you're going directly against them, it provokes him. They could no longer stand before their enemies. If you're a note taker, I gave you... Three points in, this is the history lesson, then we're going to talk about housekeeping. Can't wait, right? Yay. History. Lack of three things. The first one is, came right out of that verse that we read earlier, a lack of steadfastness. A lack of steadfastness. Trying to make a point here, and that is, left to ourselves... Left to ourselves, we will lack steadfastness. Are you with me? I need to reboot my computer regularly. I need to get a fresh infusion from the Spirit to help me on a regular basis. Right? Left to myself. If I ask Jesus into my heart, he changed my life and I got my things in order and I've not done any other spiritual work for 20 years, trust me. Steadfastness has waned. I've gotten myself in a little bit of trouble, probably. I'm stuck somewhere. Let me read something to you, if I may. And uh, it comes out of Mr. Lovelace's book. He's talking about... Um, re- well, I'm going to use this word. I hate using it because it kind of... People get wrong thoughts all the time, but revival. Meaning... The rebooting of our spiritual life, getting where we ought to be. So let me explain. He explains what it means. It's an outpouring of the Spirit which restores the people of God to normal spiritual life after a period of corporate declension. What happened to the children of Israel? Declension. They get in trouble. And then they get oppressed. That's not normal spiritual life. There needs to be a reboot. It needs to be fixed. Here's what else he says. Periods of spiritual decline occur in history because if you don't learn anything else from me today, learn this phrase, the gravity of indwelling sin. The gravity. What's, remember my little water thing? There's a principle. Gravity is a principle. The gravity of indwelling sin keeps pulling believers first into formal religion and then into open apostasy. Churches, including harmony, have all three things. Normal spiritual life, formal religion, and even apostasy. Do you know what apostasy means? Anybody not know what that word? That's why your hand is raised. Greek word, apostasia, the falling away. The falling away. The children of Israel fell away 
right, fell away when they worshipped the Baals. I mean, this was a no-brainer. This was the clearest thing. I am the Lord. Anybody remember my Ten Commandments? I know it was pretty boring, but remember that? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You shall make no graven image yet. It's all very clear. That's number one, and they forgot it. That's apostasy. That's the falling away. All right? Oh, that remains to be seen. Periods of awakening alternate with these as God graciously breathes new life into his people. And every major advance of the kingdom of God on earth is signaled and brought about by a general outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I got to tell you, um, I'm going to unpack this a little more later, but when I learned this concept, it explained so much to me. It explained why people can run into the church at times and look at it and say, there can't really be a God and all this happening. Can't be so. Anybody relate to what I'm saying? But if you understand, yes, it can be so, because periods of decline alternate with the visiting of the Spirit that raises up normal Christianity once again. Here's what he says about indwelling sin. A depth understanding of sin and other important impl- has imp- important, sorry, implications for the awakening of the church. <sighs> Most congregations of professing Christians are saturated with a kind of dead goodness. Do I still have a job, Glenn? I'm Okay. He said, I do. An ethical respectability that has its motivational roots in the flesh rather than in the illumining and enlivening control of the Holy Spirit. That's the difference between lively disciples and dead church people. They're no fun. I'm just being blunt. They're not. It's like church is a bear, you know. Serious business. Yes, I can tell. (laughs) Paul describes this without having the renewing action of the Spirit as a form of religious pride. And he says it this way, a form of godliness which denies the power thereof. Okay, enough of that. I know I'm meddling and having a wonderful time doing it. Spiritual decline. So the first thing is a lack of steadfastness. I hope you're getting this. I can't do this on my own. Remember when I was kind of being... I know I never do this. Those of you who um, don't know me, I have a strange sense of humor. I hope it's not offensive. If it is, I really... I do apologize. I don't want anything to ever get between you hearing the truth of the living God. I, I wouldn't want that to happen. But... <laughs> I have tried to say, you can't. Remember the, the, the big, the big uh, tortoise in the never-ending story? Can I get there? No. Well, how do I get there? You can't. It's 10,000 miles away. And he's just enjoying saying, you can't. And I'm not enjoying it, okay? I mean, I'm having fun with you. But what I'm saying is, you can't. I want to live the Christian life. Wonderful. I'm so glad you want to. You can't. 
Praise the Lord. Who can? Yes, if you're not linked in and dependent upon him, you're not living it. Do you get what I'm saying? That's the whole point of a lively relationship. It came out over and over in the Old Testament context, illustrating this for who's learning? Our learning. Moses, they're fighting the Amalekites. Joshua's out winning. As long as his hands were held up as a picture of what? What is this a picture of? Surrender and prayer and God help us. And as long as they were up, they won. If they fell down, they started to lose. Aaron and her hold up his hands until the battle is over. Joshua goes into the promised land. First city, no problem. Jericho. Then comes Ai. Somebody sinned. The power of God got turned off just like a faucet. You can't stand before your enemies. Get up. Stop whining. Somebody has sinned. Clean it up. That's what he said. And then with my Gideon story a couple of weeks ago, I don't want you to miss it. Important point. It was very minor. And some of it, I was hot. We were sleepy. I know. But Gideon, God says to him, not too many. Remember that? Then we're down to 20,000 or 10,000. No, still too many. Can you imagine Gideon? Remember, he was the one that was like, remember that? And he says, too many. Uh, no, cut it down. 300, that's enough to take out. I, I can't remember the numbers now. What was it? 25,000, 24,000 enemy soldiers. 300's enough. Because if I let your army do it, Israel will strut and say, by our power and our brilliant military strategy, you know, we won this battle. And God said, I'm not having it. Over and over. You can't. But our Joshua can, Jesus, the Savior, and he's available if you'll draw near. First thing, lack of steadfastness. Second thing, lack of spiritual leadership. Let me just be blunt. A lack of the right kind of leadership. Here's what the Bible says. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. He was obviously a spiritual leader. And all the days of the elders who survived Joshua. He had an influence on those people. There were individuals in that day who had conviction about God and his word. Right? Who had seen, here's why, they had seen all the great work of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now, I don't want to park on that last phrase yet. I want to park on the first part. There was the right kind of leadership. Here's a phrase you find over and over again. It's the very last verse of the book of Judges. Very last verse. Here's what it says. In those days, there was no king. Everyone, read it with me. Everyone did what was right in his own. That wasn't good enough. Read it again. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Boy, that's so irrelevant in our culture, isn't it? That... Thank you. It really is. Even dialoguing with people about, like sharing the gospel with someone, which recently I was doing, it's what, well, I really feel this. Well, is there any basis in reality outside of what's going on in your own head? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It was a lack of spiritual leadership. Let me set the stage here for a second. This cycle... This spiritual dynamic happened in the Old Testament, and it happens even today in the church. I think you're kind of getting my point. 
So it continued through Judges and into all the days of the kings. Anybody in the kings yet? Anybody reading anything? Right? The kings? Good king, bad king. Bad king, they worship false gods. Good king says, clean it up, burn the idols, da, da, da. Good king, bad king. Good king, bad king. Good king, bad king. Right? Over and over. The wrong spiritual leadership. So one day, a good king, Asa, who had feet of clay also, he he had weaknesses, but Asa is bringing renewal, and in the middle of it, a prophet comes to him, Azariah, who says to Asa, buck up, baby, keep going, because God will be with you if you're with him. And here's what he says about the condition of Israel. And for many days, Israel was without a true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and they sought him. And, ooh, is that cool or what? And he let them find him. Ah, there's hope here. There was no teaching priest. They were without law. I've shared sometimes that when I, when I first arrived here four years ago, it, it felt like no one had ever looked in the Bible, is what it felt like. Which is one of the reasons I wanted us to read the scripture together. Do you know that it says stuff about some of the things you're doing and you're saying, believing? It actually does. A lack of steadfastness, because on your own you can't do it. A lack of good leadership and teaching clarity. And one other thing. This is the hard one. A lack of personal experience. That's your third bullet. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Yeah. So what happens? Joshua, the elders with him, they serve the Lord. Remember those great statements? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can't do it, but we're going to do it. We made up our mind, we're going to do it. So we're going to serve the Lord. And then the next generation comes along. They didn't see all those mighty works. They don't remember the cross. They hear about it. Yeah, I hear these big stories. They tell it in church all the time, but we never seen anything like that. I never saw God do nothing. There arose another generation who did not know who? Nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. There has to be somewhere along the line an encounter with God. There has to be. Mom and Dad, you can't do it for your children. You can't do it for your relatives, your neighbor, the person you're trying to strong arm, argue into the kingdom. It's not going to work. There has to be an encounter with the Spirit of God. The judges went on to say that when they cried out to God, by the way, is there hope here? Is there any hope? Yes. He let himself be found by them, right? He hasn't changed. Anybody say amen? He hasn't changed. He will let you find him if you search for him. That's exactly what he says. When the Lord raised up judges for them, it says, when he heard their cry, he was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies. 
and all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. That's a nice way of putting. They cried out to God and said, we can't take it anymore. We'll serve you. And he said, okay, okay. And he would raise up a deliverer, a point man, a leader again. And clear teaching would prevail and they would rally and they would destroy the false gods and they would obey the Lord their God again. Was everyone in that crowd converted? No. Were some of them? Yeah. And they were the ones that moved things forward. Someone recently asked me, uh, talk, asked me to just define terms that I use occasionally. Revival, renewal, awakening. Well, you've already heard my definition because I steal it from Mr. Loveless. It's a restoration to normal spiritual life after a period of corporate declension. Moving toward normalcy. Any individual Christian who has found himself caught in the rut of this cycle. By the way, these are the applications we're moving toward. One, it works on a personal basis. Left to myself, the gravity of indwelling sin is going to lead me into some area I'm going to find myself trapped. How did I get here? I think to myself. How did my mind get filled with this dirt? How did I become so hateful toward that person? How did this happen? It's a dynamic. The downward pull, the gravity of indwelling sin is at work. I have got to reboot. I've got to change it up. I call that in an individual's life renewal. And any Christian can choose to have it when they make up their mind they're sick of themselves. And anybody who teaches on the subject will tell you that's the very first step. You have to get absolutely sick of the garbage you're living in. Say, I'm done. I'm done with being oppressed and having no power against this sin area, this opposition, this difficulty, whatever it is. No victory or joy in the midst of my circumstance. Whatever it is. That's number one. When that happens to a whole bunch of Christians in one church, that's revival. In other words, a whole church becomes enlivened and hungry for God and they become normal. Thank you, dear. That would be awesome. And I promise not to have heart failure. A whole church enlivened and loving Jesus. Woo. And when it spills from church to church to church and takes over a community, it's awakening. That's the word. The great awakening encompassed the whole eastern seaboard. Can I tell you something fun about that just for a second? Of course I can. Nobody said stop. <laughs> this is really kind of cool. This is cool. In the first Great Awakening, I wish I had the data. This is free. It's a sidebar, and I don't have the data. But the population of New England was about 300,000, I think, at the time. And when the Great Awakening swept the East Coast under the leadership of men like Jonathan Edwards and the preaching of the gospel, and people have wrong views of all of that that went on, trust me, you got it wrong. If you heard it from, instead of reading it yourself from the original sources, you got it wrong. People came into the kingdom by droves. In Northampton, a community where Jonathan Edwards preached, a community of 100, no, 1,500 people, I think it was something like three or four or 500 new Christians were added to that church. 
Now do the math. Do the math. That means everyone in that church only had to reach out to two or three other people and the entire town would have been evangelized. People were swept into the kingdom by the thousands because personal renewal led to corporate renewal, revival, which led to awakening, which swept thousands of people into the kingdom. And you know why it happened? The non-Christians watching and mocking the Christians said, hey, this is the real thing. Holy smokes. And I don't know if they talked like that back then, but it was pretty much like that. Bam. They had to cave. Wow. Yeah, I agree. Amen. That's my amen section back there. There needs to be, as God is moved with compassion for the oppression on his people, as they cry out to God, he is the living God and he can hear us and deliver. But when we've ignored him and we've gotten in that pattern of deadness, That explains why Christians do goofy things and non-Christians are offended, rightfully so. But it helped me understand what I should be fighting for. And that's why I'm preaching what I'm preaching today, because I'm a fanatic. I won't change my mind and I can't change the subject. Sorry. Go, baby. All right. Now, so let me just say a few things by way of this. I want to talk about housekeeping. Okay, you know what this is? We were praying in the back, getting ready for worship, and I I had this illustration. I was always praying. (laughs) You know when mom and dad have the refrigerator and the kids draw pictures, and you you can't even see the machine anymore. There's so many pictures. So housekeeping is what we do when we talk to our kids and say, oh, you know these pictures you've done? Tegan and Aiden, these are great pictures. We love these pictures. But the picture you drew on the wall, that's not a very good thing. It's not supposed to draw on the walls. Gammy and Pop-Pop aren't happy about that. Everybody follow? So it's true about us as an assembly as well. So I want to read a few things by way of perhaps helping us understand. Some have wisely said that um, over the last four years, that's how I've been, long I've been here, it's hard to believe I'm that old, but uh, we're healthier than we were when I started. That would be an accurate statement. Thanks be to God. Are we healthy, healthy? Not yet. So thank you for that wise answer. Those who would respond that way, I would agree. We're stable. We're happy about that. I interacted with people lately. I've had a number of very helpful conversations that um, people have kind of verbalized what I have felt. So I thought, this is encouraging that other people are seeing what I see. Oh. One of those things a brother said to me is, it's kind of a club here. It's not a lot of intentionality for ministry, for praise and worship. By the way, something started to cut loose this morning. That was pretty cool. Don't let that happen too often. I'm kidding, of course. Really being intentional about honoring God. Forget who's watching you. If you're disturbed back there, come over here and worship up here. Intentional about our witness. 
about caring about other people and folding new people into our assembly, that's work. I'm just going to be blunt. It's work. You have to work at it. I've said that that's been part of our ethos since I've been here, and I'm right. We need God to change that, and it's got to start with each one of us individually. Can I just be blunt? God wants to utilize all of us. No exceptions. Oh, let somebody else do it. I think we have an old habit here. We like to pay people to do things so we don't have to do it. I'm going to tell you, grandparents can't keep the church going anymore. We're running out of gas, right? All the grandparents said, thank you. Too busy running the roads. And also, we're not the future, right? We're not the future. We need more new disciples, and we need to pass the reins on. We need an emphasis on the right syllable. And that syllable is servanthood. If you really love Jesus, you want to serve him. I've wanted to serve him from the time I met him. I want to get it right. Do I get tired? Yes. Do I get cranky? Never. I need another drink. Yeah. I loose it off me. Okay, sister. We need to raise up leaders. We did a cursory search for eldership. I want to tell you, it's a tough job here. It's not going to be easy. Because we need them. Because I need people to help hold my hands up. And Derek and Tim and others. I've said this before. I'm, please trust me. I'm speaking this as a dad. Good pictures, bad picture. Okay? There's some good things we're able to do. One of the, there's a number of things we started recently. You know our Rainer readings we always get? There's a number of things we started recently. Small groups. Hope they're doing well. The pantry was like, pfft. I mean, it's humming. The, God is bringing all that we need for it. It's like, what is going on here? You know what I mean? It's almost like there is a God. I totally believe there is. And that he's at work. So we do know how to do that. We need to do that in every area if we're going to maintain it. If we're not going to maintain an area, kill it and bury it. I don't care if it's been here for 40 years. Maybe it's growing mold. But if you want something that's supposed to bear fruit, we need to put our energies into it. I'm just going to tell you, it's more often what I've seen an afterthought the way we serve here. It's like schlock. We hand God the the dregs. It's got to stop. Don't do more than you can do. God's not asking you to do everything. Some of you I'm still preaching to. You're trying to do everything. Stop. I won't mention any. No, I won't. I won't mention any names. Stop doing everything. Pass it on. Here was the thing I said I I was a little nervous to say. When I came earlier at the very beginning, I said, you might be, and by the way, this is not being sarcastic. Don't anybody think I'm being sarcastic? It's easy for me to say. It might be better to do weekend chapel meetings rather than try to run everything as a church. A church requires a lot of work. A church is volunteer intensive. People have to want to do it because the joy of the Lord is their strength. And by the way, they've got to be here to do it. We're a little weak on that. 
I refer you again to the sermon of June 4th on the podcast about the Sabbath. I think we're in sin on that. I think we are in sin. So, and I'm not being sarcastic, if that is a better solution, then do it. Takes a lot of weight off everybody, then do it. But if we want to be a church, we're going to have to step it up. We're going to step it up with leadership. What we've allowed to go on has not been healthy. What we've allowed to go on in our ministries has not been healthy. We've got to step it up. Okay? But it's up to you. Make a vote. Let me know. <laughs> I'm serious. So one other thing. This keeps coming back to me. I don't know what to do with it. There is still a stronghold the enemy has that holds the spirit of God back from full release in this place. I thank God for the times of worship and when I sense his presence and I know I'm speaking to him and I'm that song, you know, worthy as the lamb that was slain, see him up, lifted up, exalted. I can check out from the rest of you and enjoy God. But God wants to move in on his people. There's something holding us back. I don't know what it is. I don't know how long it's been here. I've had people that have been in this church a very long time say it was here before they got here. Some people actually sense this. I have sensed it on some Sunday mornings so badly two weeks ago, whenever I was here last, I can't remember, I actually almost shut the Bible and said, I think I'm done for the morning. It was that palpable. You're sitting here thinking, what is he talking about? He must be crazy. I'm just going to be blunt. If you can't sense it, hashtag sad. I'm, so, I'm serious. We're, we're, we're operating where everything's just fine. If we're not learning to hear from the Spirit, it's not fine. You can't do the Christian life. Are you getting me? The cycle. It's going to happen again. I need to be renewed. I need to cry out to God. We need Him to rescue us. And one of the things that troubles me is we've done on my watch, one before I got here and one since I got here, a solemn assembly. I don't think we've rooted it out yet. We need to do it. His people cried out to him and he let them find him. But you have to believe there is a God and that he's the rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Probably one of the most encouraging things I've seen, besides what I've already mentioned, has been the prayer at Sunday night when we have been able to gather. I'll be honest with you. I would have a prayer meeting every Sunday night, but I can't. We're all too busy. Got too many things going on. And some of that's legit. Don't, no, not griping here. I don't know how to work it. If you've got a good idea, let's, let's talk about it because I believe that on our knees, pleading with God is where he's going to respond. You don't do Christianity without Christ. And I need him in the church. And I've said it over and over again. When you read that Revelation text, this is Jesus knocking at the door. It's a Christian text. It's not an evangelistic text. By the way, if you're here this morning and you're wondering what on earth is this all about, it's about the battle for the eternal souls of human beings. That's what it's about. Your friends and neighbors, 
either have a relationship with Christ and on their way to an eternity with him or they don't. That's why the church is here. That's why he didn't take you home the minute you accepted Jesus. You didn't just drop dead and go to heaven. We're still here to rub shoulders with the world who needs Christ. Anybody following me on that? If you're here and you haven't entered into that relationship, why go back out today when you're saying, I'm not sure that I know that. I don't know if I have that. Why leave without knowing when you can? Because God in his word has made it clear how we can know the Savior, Jesus. Well, I had some uh, Rainer articles, but I'm out of time. No, I am. But you might remember this one we read a while back. Four commitments every church member must make. Rainer on leadership. Because a healthy church, listen to his bullets, a healthy church is nothing more or less than healthy church members. And by the way, when I say members, I don't mean you have to be a formal member. But the members of the body of Christ have to be enlivened and connected with Jesus. Building the house of God. Here was his four commitments church members must make. One, and I know I meddled today, and I know some of the news wasn't good because there's writing on my wall, not just on my refrigerator. Thank God for the refrigerator pictures. We have some of those. Yes. What about that? I want to clean that. Four commitments. I will wake up to reality. I will seek God rather than my preferences. I have trouble with this one. I believe God will overcome all obstacles. And last, I will build the house of God. Building the house of God means having a witness that reaches those who do not yet know Christ. That's part of building his household. I have other sheep, not of this fold. My father wants to bring them as well. There's lots of them. They're all around us. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer. You're free to enjoy the rest of your day. If you are wondering about your relationship with Christ, why not make today the day? If you're a believer and you know you're on the bottom end of the cycle, you're stuck, maybe it's time to reboot it. It's time to cry out to God and be found by him. I invite you to come and pray. So let's pray. Lord, would you take your word, remove my junk, and drive it into the souls of your saints and sinners that may be present. For the sake of your great name, Jesus, you died so that we might be victorious. So that we might have authority against those who oppress us. And to see our tribe increase as the Savior gets the reward of his suffering with people entering into the kingdom. And becoming vital parts of the assembly, the body of Christ that is here to do your will, not just have a Sunday entertainment session. We pray for help, O oh God. We pray for help. In the great name of Jesus, Lord, I'm praying that you would hear our cry, those whose hearts are joined with me right now. We want to push back against our adversary, whoever, whatever it is that holds back your spirit in any way here. 
We want to rebuke that. We want to stand with you. We're asking you to extend your hand on our behalf, but also break through the layers of hard flesh that do not want to be broken up. Have your way, Lord Jesus. And God, my Father, I pray the prayer of a brother before us, the great Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Oh, God, send us the Holy Spirit. Give us both the breath of spiritual life and fire of unconquerable zeal. I need it. You are our God. Answer us by fire, we pray. Thy kingdom comes not, and the work is flagging. Oh, that you will send the wind and the fire. You will do this when we are of one accord, all believing, all expecting, all prepared by prayer. Bring us to this waiting state, God. Send us a season of glorious disorder. Oh, that such fire might first sit upon the disciples and then fall all around. God, you are ready to work with us today. Even as you did then, don't wait. Break down every barrier that hinders the incoming of your might. Give us now both hearts of flame and tongues of fire to preach your word for Jesus' sake. Amen and amen. So be it. God bless you.